Many young people have grown up knowing that it's their cup that needs to be filled up by the teachers, the mentors, the parents, the bosses, the CEOs who have the jug to fill it up. At Boardroom Banta, we believe that it's through coming together that we create a bigger pool of knowledge and wisdom with the mission of making the boardroom as big as can be, amplifying the stories behind the people and filling each other up. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the boardroom. Today is going to be a beautiful conversation about emotions in the spirit of love as we enter as we enter the Valentine season. We are joined by an amazing, amazing professional. He is an EI practitioner. Ooh, all the difficult getting getting these, these beautiful words out. <laughs> Is a certified EI practitioner with Genos International, an international company that helps professionals apply core emotional intelligence skills to enhance their performance. Welcome, Derek Banga. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you guys so much for inviting me. I know we've gone back and forth trying to get a time that works for all of us. So really happy to be here. Thrilled. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. The beauty of running an international podcast, we get to hear from so many inspirational leaders across the globe on their journeys, on their life's work and on their purpose. And and Derek, just I'd love the the listeners to get to know you a bit more, just as we as the team have interacted with you over the years. And the biggest question I'd love, I'd love for us to just kick off with is your life purpose. And picking from a story that was earlier mentioned of your experience with 9-11 and how that really translated to shaping your career journey after that. We'd love for you, um, if you are if you are in the position to you know, just recount, recount that specific element of your journey. Yeah, of course. I've spoken about this many times. I just hope or wonder if your audience... Uh, in fact, I'll start with you guys, if you were uh, even born or alive when 9-11 took place. So I think I'm dating myself as well in terms of uh, how long I've been on this earth. But nevertheless, that was one of the yeah. key or seminal events uh, that I experienced and really shaped me in terms of what I do today. So September the 11th, um 2001 oh man that's an age okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, at that time i was living and working in new york city i'd been fortunate enough to study in the states and that was my first job i just graduated and i yeah that that day is like a dream even as i recall it i, I mean the uh, the interesting thing is that based on where my office was or where the office I was working, uh, which was Midtown in relation to where the event was taking place, which was downtown and New York is a huge city. I was watching this event on TV play out in the city where it was happening. And added to that, there were colleagues that we worked with who were in the building at that time who were also relaying to us what was going through, you know, the fire, the smoke, they can't see. And subsequently, unfortunately, some of those colleagues passed away. I think the important thing about that event is I remember going home. I don't want to recount it 
all, right. but particularly when I got home and there were no trains running, ended up, you know, walking home, I had left my window open in my apartment and the ash from the collapsed buildings had drifted into my apartment on the sill. And as I, you know, swiped my finger on the debris, which is what it was, you know, it was the debris of a collapsed building. Unfortunately, the many souls that had been lost, I said to myself, you could have been there. That was my immediate thought. I literally, I'd been in that building dozens of times. I think I'd been there, in fact, as recently as that year. Uh, whether it was for clients or for other purposes as well. And so as a young man, bringing that thought of you are not immortal to you, particularly since people I'd known had passed away, that is what sort of set me in terms of thinking, what do you want to do with your life? I mean, you're here today, gone tomorrow. Now, I've been able to see a few more years after that, and hopefully, this <laughs> trend will yeah. continue, virus or no virus. Yeah. And that's when I started thinking about maybe you can give back in terms of what you do for a living, because I've been working uh, finance, and as I like to say, I was hoping make millionaires billionaires. I certainly wasn't paid anything close to that, but the work I was doing working is helping people who are using the Bloomberg Analytics financial data and information to help them trade better, to help them manage their portfolios better and manage the risk um, for their clients. And so it was, a, it was an interesting time to be working on Wall Street at that time where you know there was a lot of money sloshing around. But I said, I, I think this sort of uh, rampant capitalism, if you can call it that, was not the path that yeah. I wanted to go on and do something more of a philanthropic nature. Now, don't get me wrong, I certainly wanted to be paid and to make an honest living, but right. I don't think finance was going to work for me. And so, as we all know, these journeys are never, uh, are never straight. It ended me, True. it ended up with me working in different countries, but eventually I ended up uh, doing what I'm doing today, which is, you know, helping people to be seen, heard, and remembered for the right reasons. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Derek. And and the timing of your work with with what's going on on the global front is very important with the future of work you know, being here now, with, with the ambassador of the future of work being COVID-19. <laughs> um, and just the focus on 21st century skills and one of them being emotional intelligence. So I'd love for us to just unpack how this looks like in the workspace. And I have a perfect place for us to begin a recent, a recent to, uh, comment that you put out on your, on your LinkedIn, right? Better.com CEO, right? For, for those who aren't, aren't aware of, of what happened recently in the corporate space, Better.com CEO told 900 staff via Zoom that they were part of an unlucky group and were fired. If you were the CEO, this is the question you asked, Derek, if you were the CEO, how would you handle this? And 51% of your audience said, just be honest and compassionate. How did you view this, Derek? And what are the important elements that would tie back to emotional intelligence as you introduced the topic that we 
see or not see, you know, through this yeah. um, experience of the better.com CEO. Yeah, that was an interesting poll that I put on my LinkedIn page. I think I put it this year, if I'm not mistaken. I think that event took place right. earlier this year. The the CEO of this, you know, large company fired <laughs> hundreds of employees over a Zoom call. I mean, when I read that story, my first reaction was this has got to be a joke or a spoof or something of that nature. Turns yeah. out it was now, you know, there have been subsequent developments because of the reaction, not just mine, but around the world of people. But to me, it brought to mind or brought to bear the things that I talk about, particularly with my clients in terms of emotional intelligence, where emotional intelligence is now seen as one of the most needed skills for leadership going into the 21st century, 2022. And in fact, just look at what we've experienced over the last 18 to 24 months in terms of our life. And leading with emotional intelligence is not a nice to have, it's a must have. And when we lead with emotional intelligence, there are a few things that, 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 that we want to think about. We want to think about our self-awareness. We want to think about self-management. But particularly for leaders, we want to think about awareness of other people, so awareness of our teams that we're leading, awareness of uh, the customers that we're dealing with or the vendors, and also, and this is, this is something that the organization I'm with, Genos, talks about, inspiring people. Now, if you're going to fire people over a Zoom call, number one, you're certainly not thinking about them. You're thinking about you, your bottom line, your company. You're certainly not thinking about those people. Because if you thought about it, you'd say, a tough decision has to be made, but there has to be another way of doing this, where I'm going to be cognizant of uh, how people are going to feel in the moment, how this is going to affect them, uh, how I can perhaps give them this, you know, you, as, as leaders or CEOs, you have to make tough decisions. So I think it was a decision completely devoid of emotional intelligence and particularly those to awareness of other people, which is a competency that we talk about in Genos. And that certainly didn't inspire anyone to say, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be like, uh, I forget the name of the CEO. Better don't come to you, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting you mentioned the the element of awareness of others in a team because we find ourselves in team regardless of the industry that we're in, whether you're in the entertainment business, whether you're an actor, you know, working with a team of fellow actors or with producers, whether you're a teacher, right, in, in a ministry, in an existing structure. And bringing it down to our experience as, as startup founders, as as young entrepreneurs working with teams, we find that it's it's one of the biggest challenges that we face, right? Building strong and committed teams, but then you know just with the understanding that it does come back to our self awareness, our self management, and then translating that to other people, right? What is the role that emotional intelligence can play in supporting this, not just for yeah. for founders for our leaders like better.com CEO, people leading large organizations, large teams, yeah. but you know, from you know, startup founders leading small teams? That's a good, that's a great question, Boniface. 
Uh, I'm going to give you, I think, what is going to be one of the trends for 2022. And that is okay. a term called psychological safety. Actually, it's been, uh, people have been talking about this over the last yeah. couple of years, but I think now more than ever, psychological safety. Psychological safety is creating an environment for your team whereby they can feel that they can speak up, where they feel that they can give difficult feedback to the boss, to the manager, to the CEO, without repercussions, where you're silenced, where there's retribution, where your ideas are not, um, are, are not even entertained, let alone listened to. And so if, as, as young people building up organizations, starting the next uh, Facebook, or, uh, or Google company, I think bringing, as, you, as, as your team grows and you bring people on board and the organization grows, creating that atmosphere where people can speak up, where ideas are heard, where dissenting opinions are not just heard, but are encouraged. Um, there is a gentleman known as General McMaster, who is a former, um, uh, general in the U.S. Army, and his his story is a legend. He was one of the generals who was in charge when um, the Americans went in to kill Osama bin Laden. He has, and he's well known for his leadership style. So, for example, General McMaster would do um, would do one of these things. He would have you know a meeting, and maybe he's meeting with his top, you know. His, uh, his 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 um, top leadership team, and and uh, and maybe not even the leadership team, just you know having a, a yeah, general meeting, yeah. and he would say something outrageous in the meeting. You know, I mean, something completely off the wall. Something he would suggest something that would be ridiculous, and he he did this because he wanted to see what would be the reaction of the people in that meeting would people just nod their heads and say yeah the boss has spoken that's a great idea yes man yes now man. a lot of people would, <laughs> would you know you don't want to criticize the boss i mean yeah but he wanted to encourage that where people would say excuse me sir that is a ridiculous idea what are you thinking about so that even when he said something that was maybe not as ridiculous but there were people who had a different opinion, they could feel that they could give their feedback and not be castigated or punished for that view. And that psychological safety, I think, is so important going forward as you grow and lead your teams. Feedback, I think, is the bread and butter of, uh, of any organization. Sorry, my, my Zoom, not my Zoom, oh, my, my Alexa is just giving me notifications. Let me just turn it down. Say hi to Alexa for us. Yeah, Alexa is an intrusive in my life. Okay, I think I've turned her down. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Um, but now in a world where a lot of what we learn is tied to the education system, and I'll say this because one of the things that you mentioned in your earlier interviews is an experience that you had where educational leaders were not interested in, in integrating this 
into the curriculum as a core core skill that needs to be taught to young students at an early age. You're I'm going to give a shout. Mm-hmm. Yes, emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, I'll give a shout out to the people who built the framework of our institution, the African Leadership University, because emotional intelligence is a subject that's handled in leadership core in your first in our first year in school. And one of the things that you know is reflected on is you know, the importance of not being yes men, being able to give feedback, cultivate that psychological safety within an organization. But where not everyone is privileged to have access to institutions that have already integrated this into the system. So where where can it begin from a personal standpoint of wanting to learn about emotional intelligence and then also translate that into one's public image? Because Yuri, uh, myself, Sean, we learned at a very early stage due to our affiliation with Arcade Education Group, which is also where, where we first met years back when I was in high school. And that was also from us having putting in the effort to take ownership of our leadership journey. So where where would it begin for people who aren't necessarily privileged enough to be in these spaces? Oh, I'm unequivocal about my stance on when emotional intelligence should be introduced to young people. I believe it starts in primary school. I believe... You cannot be too young. It should be a core subject taught from as early as five or six or seven years old. And I think to me, living your life with that type of, um, those type of values, gratitude, resilience, um, empathy, um, you're never too young to start those. Yeah. And any good parent will teach these to toddlers, as soon as, you know, uh, young babies become cognizant. So why can't we teach it in school in some form or some fashion? And uh, in fact, there are some countries where it's already been introduced. There are certain Scandinavian countries and maybe parts of Australia where emotional intelligence is part of the curriculum. Uh, And then it should continue all the way until we graduate from university. And there's so many facets to emotional intelligence, so you can't exhaust the subject. Um, and yeah, also yeah. just reinforce it as we grow up. That will make for better leaders, better team members, and I think a better society. Awesome, awesome, Jack. I'd want to give an account of, of an experience I had while I was, I was doing an accelerator program in Colorado a couple of years back. We had gone to, I was with Yuri actually, we had gone to give this, talk at a high school um, in Aurora, which is one of the towns in Colorado. And we were a panel, right? And everyone had a chance to speak on their adventures and and approach the interaction with the students differently. I was the last one to speak. And when I walked up, I asked for volunteers. I got two volunteers from the audience. One of them was a gentleman. And I I thought the other one was a lady. This, This goes back to to an element of being aware of others from an international context, right? And when they walked up, I said, hello, sir, what's your name? The, the, the gentleman told me his name. And I asked the other one, how about you, miss? And then as, as she was introducing herself, she introduced herself with the pronouns they, them. So I realized then and there that I had misrepresented this person. You know, that really, I was, I apologized, um, for it and just later on as I was reflecting on the way home I realized 
just how sometimes when we are bottled up in the same culture all your life or in the same environment, and this is just from, uh, we're both Kenyan, I'm just taking it from a, a Kenyan standpoint or African standpoint, we don't get the opportunity to experience other people, to experience how the awareness of other people changes across different cultures, Derek. And I'd love for you to give us a bit more insight into how you approach your trainings with different types of clients from top business leaders with what you're doing with Alpha Group. I'd love for you to touch on that as well. Top business leaders, students, primary school students, different people in different professions. How do you contextualize different elements of your EI of your EI teachings and lessons? So, uh, okay, there are a couple of elements that you've introduced here. So first of all, there's the experience that a lot of young people go through. You're born and raised in a particular country, and then you yeah, travel yeah. to another country for further studies. You experience that. I experienced that. I've lived and worked on three continents. So believe me, I have made that same snafu in multiple yeah. contexts in multiple countries <laughs> where you are you're simply not used to their culture and their norms so that's one thing and i don't think anybody should be um should be given any demerits because of that you learn and you become better now where ei kicks in there is maybe not awareness of others but self-awareness so you're aware right. that you're feeling whatever feelings you were feeling. And what were you feeling, Boniface? Let me ask you. What were you feeling when you made that mistake in the moment? Forget about even when you, when you reflected on it later. Yeah. But in the moment, what did you feel? I was embarrassed and confused sure. as to how I should continue with the presentation. Okay. So Is it something? Yeah. Confusion. You recognize those feelings. Now, EI would be, okay, now that I'm feeling embarrassed and I'm feeling confused and feeling ashamed, what do I do? Do I turn around and cry? Do I burst into tears? How do I manage this? No, your actions, and this is where EI kicks in, where you now say to yourself, I've recognized this feeling, and this is what I'm going to do, which is going to be best, not just for me, but for the other person maybe to say further embarrassment or whatever it is, but it's about recognizing that feeling and then (laughs) behaving, uh, having an intelligent response. Get it? Emotional intelligence and intelligent response. Not about crushing those feelings or hiding those feelings. It's about recognizing that I feel a certain way and it's a strong emotion or an unhealthy one. Now, what do I do? And there's a certain element of ownership in that as well. It's not about the other person, okay? It's about you and how you react to it. It's almost like you're taking the power. Nobody, people can certainly make you feel a certain way, but your reaction to that event. I think one of my favorite quotes is, is not, it's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you react to it. And that quote has been used in various forms by various people over the years. I think it forms part of what we call a philosophy of life called stoicism. So how do you react in the moment? I had an incident just like that yesterday. Somebody put me in a very precarious position. Um, I mean, they made me feel really bad about myself. Mm. And it certainly wasn't my fault. But in the moment, I could have, you know, 
fired back at them, you know, fight, fire, fire. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Am I allowed to talk Swahili on this podcast? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> this is an international podcast. They might not understand, but maybe you'll have things. Yeah. You know, my, which loosely translated is. <laughs> you think you my fist is... like that? Let me show you what I can do. Yeah. But I chose that moment to recognize that really strong emotion that that person made me feel. And rather than fight fire with fire, I chose the route of, what did I choose? I chose the route of empathy. I said to myself, I actually know the backstory of this particular person and how this is how they behave. So rather than get yeah. upset with them, let me empathize and say, I know why you talk like that. And, and I let it slide off my back. I would like to think that was an emotional intelligence response. Now, <laughs> you again reflected on that event later. And yeah, sometimes yeah. we wish we could have done something different. And that's par for the course as far as human beings. But that's what I talk about emotional intelligence. So that we're not just reacting, okay? Scientifically, we're not letting the amygdala do an amygdala hijack and we react right. in the moment. Right but we're actually allowing our prefrontal cortex here yeah, to make a measured and an intelligent response to whatever we're faced with. Beautiful. Thank you for that recount, um, Derek. And as we dive a bit deeper into, into other elements of emotional intelligence, such as authenticity, right? And that translates, I feel, to, to one's public image and what, what they portray on a daily basis. Yep. One of the earliest, earliest, lessons that we learned from you Derek when you're in high school is you are addressed by how you are dressed right and this is something either conscious or subconscious right but with with you know how the world is changing and how we are in a season where people are redesigning how things are done the the world is redesigning how how people interact from simple things like okay, when you meet someone now you can't go straight for the handshake right and there's we need to also revisit the the blueprint of certain guiding principles of our personal brands and our interactions with people. How did you, as a consultant, go about adapting adapting to the new normal? Right? Was it redesigning the whole framework, certain elements of it? You know, calling back your former clients and saying we need to have another another session to to realign to the current normal. How was that experience? like for you and what are some lessons that you learned about yourself, right? Being authentic with yourself as, as an evolving leader and an evolving okay. trainer. I, I see what you did there. There's a little bit of uh, your question wants me to segue into a little bit of the public image work that I do. You mentioned right. the <laughs> sessions that we had uh, a few years ago, um, but you also brought in the element of authenticity, which is an emotional intelligence competency for sure. Authenticity. Uh, so being authentic, you know, and that bad is bandied around a lot. I think for me, being authentic is being vulnerable. Uh, I like that part, you know, being, mm. you know, I, 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 let me give you an example. All right. You can see my setup over here, right? Yeah. To me, as a, as a trainer, coach, and a facilitator, this is where I'm doing most of my sessions from, from home, not from the office. Mm. And I, this is what I do. I have the camera on and I let people see a little bit of, you know, Casa della Derek. 
Yeah, and that yeah, authenticity, yeah. allowing people a glimpse of my life, two years ago, nobody would have ever seen this. Now, I'd like to yeah. think I've set it up in such a way, and you know, we can quibble about some of the things that I have, but this is my authentic self. I don't need to have a virtual background. I'm not hiding anything. This is that vulnerability, letting you have a little glimpse of what is going on. And hopefully that makes for a stronger connection. Now, the connection, that's what we're missing. That's what you were referring to, Boniface. That connection, yeah. where, for example, the strongest connection we can have with another human being is through touch, physical connection, that is, which we are lacking yeah. in this brave new world we live in, where we are fist bumping and, you know, nodding politely from six meters away or whatever the social distancing <laughs> norm is these days. Yeah. Certainly, I hope we go back to a part where we can shake hands. And for me, I remember, I don't know if we, if we did this, where I deconstructed the handshake. And I literally talk about a handshake is a character indicator, amongst yeah. other things. Um, wearing masks, which hides our nonverbal communication, the lower half of our face. But, you know, I've also seen red research where the eyes now become even more important, you know, since people cannot see mm. if you're talking to somebody, you have the mask on. So just you know, using what uh, is available, so to speak, or what, or what is, uh, or what is, uh, I really apologize. I thought I turned my phone off. I have a new phone. I don't think I've quite mastered it. All right. And, you know, eye contact becomes even more important. Nonverbals become even more important. When you have your Zoom meetings, people being able to see, your body language, that's why you have the camera on, making sure there's adequate lighting so that people can see you. You know, attention has become the currency, I think, of doing business in, 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 this, in this environment. Mm. And so making it easy for people to believe you, uh, to like you, and to trust you in a virtual environment. I think I've answered your question, or at least I've given you a few points, hopefully that you can take away. Yes. What yes, one of the other, other elements of the question was, you know, what did it teach you about yourself in terms of how you are agile enough to adapt to other people? I think one of the a reason why I'm asking this is, one of the other things that you shared, um, one of Gino's in emotional intelligence surveys was on the question of, in your opinion, how important is it for leaders to adjust their style to fit well with others, right? And 34.1% said it's, it's extremely, extremely important. And that's one of the things, I guess, from my point of view as, as a young leader and entrepreneur who's also you know, a victim of right, the circumstances that we're in, that, that adaptability has proved very essential, but it's something that needs, it's a muscle that needs to be flexed very often, right? Sure, how, another word how has for that been for you? Mm. Yeah, yeah if, go ahead. If there's anything that we've needed over the past, you know, 18 to 24 months, it's that adaptability or resilience, mm -hmm. you know, particularly in challenging circumstances. And uh, did you know zebras don't, have heart problems. What do you, you know? Mean? Yeah. So <laughs> a, a zebra will never die of um, chronic stress. 
Zebras don't have ulcers. Let me put it that way. Mm. A zebra doesn't get an ulcer. Do you know why a zebra doesn't get an ulcer? So a zebra no. wakes up in the morning, walks onto the plane, starts uh, having its breakfast. And uh, as it's eating, it's this wonderful, delicious, dew-laden grass. In the bushes is another animal also looking for its breakfast, right? A lion, right? A lion yeah. charges out <laughs> and the zebras begin to scatter. Now, for the next 15 or 20 minutes, that zebra is running for its life. I mean, literally, that is the highest stress any um, mammal, human being or zebra can experience, right? Running right. for your life, trying to protect your very existence, right? Now, let's just imagine that this lion gets the zebra's cousin, all right? Cousin Debo instead of this actual zebra. You know, the zebra has an interesting mechanism. It goes back to eating the grass and resets its mechanism to completely forget that it had just been running for its life two minutes ago. Two minutes ago. Yeah, it goes back. And imagine that scenario being played three times a day, assuming that the zebra has three square meals. If yeah. you're a human being living that kind of life, right? You wake up in the morning, you run for your life, you come back, you have to eat again, then you run for your life again at lunchtime, then you run for your life again in the evening. <laughs> I think most of us would check out, not even by evening, by lunchtime would have said, you know, uh, I can't, I'm done. Now, the reason I use that story is as human beings, you talked about adaptability. That is what we can take from the zebras. That's why the zebra doesn't have chronic stress. Yeah. Because that mechanism in the zebra allows it to continue living its life without worrying about being chased by a lion by during a lion. its next meal, which we as human beings don't do. We're constantly worrying. We're constantly thinking about the things in our lives that are not going right. We're constantly thinking about, okay, now how are we going to adapt to this new environment? What can we do to make things better? So on, so on. And that is a human condition. It's true. But we can take a little bit of that in terms of being able to adapt and say, you know what? Things will get better. We can let some of these things slide off our back. No, not everything is fear. And when I talk about fear, by the way, fear can also be an acronym for false expectations appearing real. A lot of these things are not as bad as we think they are. And so then that helps right. us to survive, to thrive as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, as friends with our family. Instead of succumbing and saying, you know what? A pandemic has ruined me, ruined my business, and so I'm checking out. Did that story make any sense, Boniface? I mean, I hope... Yes, it did. I, I am still internalizing it. I don't know about the listeners, but <laughs> uh, definitely. And it does, it, it does ring a couple of bells, one of them being a conversation that we had with Amadou on the podcast. Um, to mm -hmm. the listeners, Amadou and Derek are affiliated in the line of work and have you know, do have a relationship along the lines of the places that they have stepped in and the work that they do. And one of the things that Amadou had mentioned that I'd love, I'd love to hear your take on is, you know, being able to tailor good success metrics as young leaders and high achievers, right? With, with how your, your career has played out over the years, right? With, you know, 
two decades ago, you know, having having that realization of something something needs to change, right? I need I need to realign myself with towards a certain direction. I'd love I'd love to hear how how your success metrics have evolved and what you look at now and say this is something important for me to invest my time in. This is these these are the pe- people who are worth are worth my my specific training, my specific time, and how how that has really evolved over the years. Okay, I think maybe let me talk a little bit about my personal philosophy and how that has changed over the years. Just in terms of how I live my life, living my life on my own terms, that to me is success. Success, I don't think. I think the goalposts not necessarily shifting, but moving in terms of that target, and rather than goalposts, let me use that target. Yeah. Um, I'm always striving to do better. I'm always striving to, um, you know, work with different kinds of clients, expand my, my line of work, that sort of thing. But in terms of, for example, merging myself against other people, that certainly is something, it's, it's my, the yardstick I measure myself against is mine. It's not yeah. on other people's timeline in terms of success. I think that's something that young entrepreneurs and young leaders can, can take. You know, you set your own targets and set your own goals. And you're the person who you're responsible to on whether you are able to achieve them. Um, yeah. I think also just in terms of, in fact, you know, over the last few years, I've really bought into, if if that is the correct terminology to use, or I've really began to think about just in terms of how living a life of overt consumption and consumerism. And so trying to live a life where uh, a little bit more of the uh, fulfillment of other people. And yeah, I did start this journey a long time ago in terms of giving back that's only my career path yeah you work yeah. or train with someone and you hope you've changed their life because they come back and they give you feedback and they say Derek that was great you helped me that thing but just in terms of my own personal life rather than pursuing uh, a lot of the material um, rewards I think it's more of um, pursuing um, intellectual rewards, okay? Reading more, listening to more podcasts, differing viewpoints on subjects where perhaps I was dogmatic on how things should be. I I mean, Mm. you mentioned it, you know, I used to talk about dressed in press and things like that. My style has changed. How I approach that subject in terms of how you should be professionally, your professional image. I've taken viewpoints from different people and my my views have... um, have become a little bit more maybe a minimal and not as black and white as they were before. And it just, I think that just makes one a, a happier individual, if you will, okay? Having a more, a reason, I guess, to get up every morning. It's not necessarily about pursuing a happy life. Um, yeah. But just having a sort of bigger goal to achieve, a reason to do what you do, I think, uh, makes for a more... Uh, I'll use the word fulfilling lifestyle. And I think that's something that certainly your audience for this podcast might want to think about rather than just the blind pursuant 
of material uh, reward. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that, Derek. That's a lovely, lovely way to, to end this first part of our conversation. And, uh, and I'd love for us to dive into one of our, our, mm. our favorite, favorite segments mm. with our guests, and that is the elevator segment. So imagine yourself leaving the boardroom, nice conversation, very, very inspiring, very insightful. And as you walk to the elevator, a budding intern follows you, follows you back, sort of how what used to happen at ACAD mentorship sessions back in the day. And has a couple of questions for you as in the elevator, Derek. Uh, let me know yeah. if you're ready for this next segment. I was born ready. Let's go for it, Boniface. Elevator Let's pitch. Let's go. Come on. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> Let's dive in. So the first question, Derek, a little birdie told us that you're an avid Marvel fan. <laughs> Let us know who's your favorite Marvel character and which is your favorite Marvel movie. Okay, I have, I have several characters that I, that I like. I mean, for me, the original... Uh... <laughs> okay, listen, I'm, I'm going to make this the elevator pitch. I'm going to make it short. My favorite character as of today is Spider-Man. Okay. And my favorite movie is the latest Marvel movie. No Way Home. Spider Beautiful. There you go. Beautiful. I love that. For the listeners, if you haven't caught up on, on Spider-Man, on the new Spider-Man movie, please. <laughs> Big. One of the best. And I'm not just saying that. Thank you. Big recommendation um, to that one. Uh, next question, Derek. What have you become better at saying no to of late? Whether it's certain distractions, invitations, people. Saying no to my phone and certain social media platforms. Why is that I've important? I've really worked on that. Whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever the social media platforms are. I do not want to get distracted I, I say no to invitations. I say no to likes, say no to scrolling. I have really worked on that over the last few years. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Next question, we're almost, we're almost at the bottom of the elevator. What purchase of $100 or less has, had, has most positively impacted your life in the past six months? Alexa. Uh, Alexa has become my best friend. She's a little device. She went off earlier. She yeah. runs my calendar, tells me about all of the events that I have coming up, gives me the music that I enjoy listening to, the podcasts that I want to, uh, important events, news. Uh, bought Alexa for $40. Best mm. purchase under, did you say $100 or 100 shillings? Sorry. <laughs> $100. Yeah, just 40 bucks. That, that's yeah. interesting. I'm going to pause the elevator for a second because I have... I'm going to sneak this question in. Do you feel like in the current age, our reliance, our increased reliance on technology is healthy? Yeah, I, I have a huge, um, there's a lot I have to say about artificial intelligence and actually why mm. emotional intelligence is needed in the world of artificial intelligence. But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But certainly technology has helped, but technology yeah. has also been insidious. As I said, the last question you asked me, being able to turn off some of these social media platforms. These platforms are set up 
to take away your time, your attention. They're as mm. pervasive and as insidious as smoking and obesity and some of the things where today we look at and we say, we can't have this in our society. I am not asking for you to be deplatformed. I'm not asking for you yeah, to get yeah. off every single platform. I'm just asking you for you to begin to manage your time and not fall prey to how these algorithms are set up to take mm -hmm. your attention away. Study after study has shown in terms of multitasking, in terms of the attention span and how we're not able to focus on tasks. And some of these platforms are set up and that's the technology, that's the part of technology that I would perhaps caution people against. Yeah. Funny you mentioned that we had a similar conversation. Mm -hmm. Our first, our first, our pilot episode in the podcast yeah. with uh, Yasmina and she, she had quite a lot to say about that. We will, we can actually do a panel conversation. I'm going to talk mm -hmm. to our, 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 our project manager on that one, a panel um, conversation on, on artificial intelligence and, and where technology is moving. As we close this off, Derek, picture a billboard in the sky. If you could have that billboard and write a message on it that would metaphorically communicate to millions of people every single day, what would you want written on it? Uh, written on my billboard would be, you are destined for great things. You are super, you are superb, you are superior. Now, go live the life you are supposed to. Brilliant. That is the parting shot from Derek Banga to every single one of you listening in. This has been an immense conversation, Derek. It's always a pleasure to listen to you, to have a conversation with you. And we hope we, hope we can bring you back for more, right, on, on, on areas of artificial intelligence and, and, and perhaps do do more trainings on this on this as the podcast evolves. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your value, Derek. We do not take it for granted. And we hope the listeners have learned a thing or two and will take it upon themselves to do more research on, on taking taking ownership of their emotional intelligence journey and their and their public image. Thank you so much, Derek, for your time. Well, thank you. This has been a treat. Really appreciate it.